My name is Randy Madison. I'm the interim executive pastor here at Kearney E-Free, and I'm filling in for Adrian this morning, who's away on some very important business. Uh, he's doing a little wedding today. I don't know why he always says he's one of the pastors here at this church. <laughs> he is our lead pastor, and uh, it's my privilege to be uh, subbing in for him today. And welcome in the venue and the auditorium to everyone. As Adrian just said, our vision here is every person matters. And we hope that you feel that way today, especially if you're a guest and you're here with us, perhaps for the first time. We trust that uh, you experience God's love in our midst today and the touch of his encouragement as uh, you hear his word uh, this morning as we proclaim it. Well, if you're here as a guest this morning, you need to know this. We are on a journey through the Word of God together this year. And it's been a long journey. It started back in January. And we're now at a place in this journey through the Scriptures together where we are talking about what is on God's heart. And that's the main phrase I want you to grab onto as we begin this morning, God's heart. Because God has not only a heart for you, but God has a heart for worship. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Isn't it interesting that God has a heart for us to worship Him? He wants all of us in honor of Him. And yet so many times we choose to fill our lives with things that don't satisfy our soul. If you read the verses which are on the screen right now, John chapter 4, especially verses 23 and 24, you'll notice that Jesus was having a conversation with a woman at the well on one occasion. And he said that he desired those who would worship him in spirit and in truth from the inside out. God wants your heart. He wants you to worship him. And then God has a heart for wholeness. And we talked about that last week. The way Pastor Adrian put it is he has a heart for justice and he has a heart for mercy. He wants us to be those kind of people. It's interesting that the Bible talks about mercy and justice over 2,000 times. Now, if God says something over 2,000 times, you'd get the idea that God must consider that important. That's important to God. That's another thing that is on his heart. He wants us to be people of justice and mercy. And now this morning we come to this third piece or this third theme that is on God's heart. God has a heart for the world and for everybody living on this planet. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Would you pray with me? Lord, now as we come to look into your word this morning... And as we consider this story of Jonah here in just a moment to, to help us better understand your heart for the world, we ask, Lord, that you will guide us through this story. It's probably a story that most of us in here have heard many times before. But, Lord, I pray that we would see it in a new way today and we would truly get a glimpse of what is on your heart because you have a heart for the world. Every person does matter to you, Lord. And not just the people in this room today 
or in the venue this morning. But everybody matters to you. You have a heart for the whole world. And so help us to see what's on your heart and help us to have your heart. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen. About 10 years ago, there was a lady walking through a convenience food store in Wichita, Kansas, not too far from here. And as she was there, her name was Shonda Calloway, I believe. She got in an altercation and she was stabbed. And she ended up lying in the aisle of this convenience food store and she was bleeding to death. And as she lay there in this aisle of this convenience food store, there were a number of people that were shopping. And you know what they did? They walked down the aisle and they looked at her and they stepped aside and they kept walking. Only one person stopped. And you know what they stopped to do? They stopped to take a picture of her with her cell phone. Now, can you believe that story? That really happened in Wichita, Kansas, 10 years ago. Real story of a real woman. And when the police authorities heard about it, they were absolutely shocked. They couldn't believe that our world had come to that. And I want you to remember that story this morning as we get into the book of Jonah here in a moment. Because that is a graphic and yet symbolic illustration of what's going on in our world this morning. You see, we are living on a planet today where there are a lot of people dying. And we're a lot like the people in that convenience food store. We're just stepping aside or we're stepping over all of those people that are hemorrhaging to death. Not just physically but spiritually dying. And so many times, are you like me? How many times do I pass by somebody when I say every person matters? But the reality is they don't really matter that much at that particular moment. And we're all guilty, aren't we? And that's the reality of our world. And yet God has a heart for each and every person. In fact, he has a heart for people so much so in this way that he sent our Lord Jesus Christ to die for us. Jesus came to this planet, and guess what? He didn't just sit in a synagogue and hang out with religious leaders and wait for people to come to him. Jesus, read the Gospels again, had such a heart for people that he was out along the roadside and the countryside communicating the Father's love and then he hung on a cross and he died for all of their wrongdoing. That's the heart of God. Now just so you don't think this is just the opinion of Randy Madison or some pre pre preacher that's up here this morning, let's just remember what the Bible says about what's on God's heart. John 3.16, we all know it, for God so loved the world that he sent us his only son. 1 John chapter 2, 2 says that Jesus Christ died not only for our wrongdoing, all of our wrong thinking and all of our wrong actions, but Jesus Christ died for all of the wrongdoing of everybody in the world. 1 John 2, 2. That's God's heart. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, it's very interesting if you read this verse of Scripture. Way back at the very beginning in the first book of the Bible, 
God came to Abraham and he took him aside and he took him outside and he said, look up into the sky, Abraham, and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. Like the stars of the heaven, his spiritual descendants, that's the heart of God. Now that's the first book in the Bible. Now let's go all the way to the end of the Bible and look at the book of Revelation. If you've got your Bible open this morning, turn to that last book or follow along on the screen here and look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And this is what the Apostle John said. After this I looked, he said, and he didn't just look up into heaven at the stars, but he had this vision of what it was going to be like at the end of time. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God. Now that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. He has a heart for everybody. Every person matters living on this planet, and one day, heaven will be populated with people from every nation, from every dialect, speaking every language. That's the heart of God. Now, to see this more clearly this morning, we're going to look at the story of Jonah. So turn in your Bible to this story of Jonah. It's right before the book of Micah where Pastor Adrian was last week. Just after the book of Amos, if you can find Amos in the Old Testament, it's one of the 12 minor prophets. And what's interesting to me about this story that we're going to look at today and the story of Jonah is that while he's one of the 12 minor prophets, this is the only one of the 12 that really has no prophecy in the book. This is a story about the life of Jonah. It's an historical biography. It's his personal story. And this is the only one of the minor prophets that is like this. All of the others have preaching in their book. But this is his story, a very personal story. And if you remember the story, Jonah lived in a very affluent time. And that's one of the key words that you need to remember this morning as you think about this. The word affluence and the word Assyria. Because that describes the day that Jonah was living in. Jonah lived at about 800 B.C. And he preached between 800 and 750 B.C. In other words, that's a long time ago, okay? A long time before now. And he was one of the contemporaries of Amos and Hosea. And he lived during a time that was very prosperous in the nation of Israel. In fact, the nation's boundaries expanded to a place that they had not been at until before the, the, around the time of Solomon. They were experiencing a great, experiencing great deal of comfort and I want to mention that because when we get comfortable, are you like me? 
when you get comfortable and things are going pretty good and that's the way they were going at this time that Jonah lived in, it's easy to forget what's on God's heart, isn't it? It's easy to just kind of step over or step aside or go by and to forget what's really on God's heart, that God values our worship, that God values justice and mercy and humility, what we talked about last week. And every person really does matter. The world is on God's heart. When things are going good, it's easy to just blow by that. And then he lived during this time where Assyria was the dominant, powerful nation. Now, while Jonah was preaching, Assyria was actually taking a little dip in their power. They weren't quite as powerful as they normally were, and so that's what allowed Israel to begin to prosper and why they were so affluent. And Jonah preached all of his life to Israel, in the nation of Israel. And then one day, God came and he spoke to him. Look at verse 1 in chapter 1 of the book. God came and he spoke to Jonah. He tapped him on the shoulder and he gave him a new assignment. He reassigned him and he asked him to go and to preach to the Ninevites. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. In other words, the Ninevites were the Israelites' arch enemies. Now put yourself in Jonah's shoes as God taps him on the shoulder and look at verses 1 and 2. He says, go and preach against Nineveh. Now don't misunderstand that little phrase, preach against. That doesn't mean that God was out to condemn the Ninevites. In fact, if you read John chapter 3 verse 17... God's heart is not to condemn, but God's heart is a heart of compassion. He didn't send Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the heart of God. So God isn't sending Jonah to the Ninevites because he wants to condemn them. So don't misunderstand that phrase, preach against. He's preaching against them to wake them up. And that's why God calls attention to all of our wrongdoing and our, the stuff in our lives to get us back in alignment, back to where he wants us to be. He wants to wake us up and get us traveling in another direction. And that's what he wanted to do with the Ninevites. And he cared about the Ninevites. But put yourself now in Jonah's shoes. God comes to you. Pretend you're Jonah. And he very clearly speaks to you. He taps you on the shoulder and he says, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. How would you be feeling? I'd have a little discussion with God if I were Jonah. Now, wait a minute, Lord. Go preach to the Ninevites? Let me get this right. The Ninevites are the arch enemies of the Israelites. And you want me to go preach to our arch enemies? I mean, a person could get killed doing that, couldn't they? I mean, that's like asking me to step out and go preach to ISIS this morning. I don't know how comfortable I'd be doing that. And yet, that's what God asks him to do. That's his new assignment. God reassigns him. 
and he's been preaching in Israel all of his life. Has God ever asked you to do something that you were uncomfortable with? And you're thinking, now wait a minute, Lord, that's illogical. You didn't really ask me to do that, did you? And he's asked you to step into his plan in some way and to be a part of what he wants to, wants to do in reaching this world with his love. And it really didn't make sense. And it was outside of your comfort zone. But in your heart of hearts, you knew that the Lord was speaking to you. He was tapping in his shoulder. You see, the book of Jonah is like a mirror. And we can see ourselves in this story, can't we? I think we've all been there. God has spoken to us through his word or through another person or a series of events, but he's tapping you on the shoulder, and you know. You don't need me standing up here this morning telling you when God's whispering in your ear or when God's tapping on your shoulder. You know. You know when God's asking you to do something. And so that's Jonah's situation. Now, we don't know how God spoke to him. The Bible doesn't tell us that in verses 1 and 2. But what we know is that he spoke very clearly, and it was unmistakable, so unmistakable that what does Jonah do? Well, this is the next point on your outline if you're taking notes and filling in, in the blanks. Jonah runs from God. And incidentally, I want to just back up and say one other thing. Before we look at Jonah running from God. You don't have to be a part of the Columbia mission team, which we're going to pray for at the end of this service, to step into the plan of God this morning and have a heart for the world. You don't have to get on a boat and go preach to the Ninevites to follow God's plan for sharing His love with this world. The world begins when you step outside your front door. The world is here in Kearney. The world is in the grocery store. It's in your neighborhood. Every person matters to the Lord. My wife would be embarrassed for me to be sharing this story with you, but she's faithfully shared the love of Christ with a seamstress from Thailand that lives in Hastings, Nebraska for years. Now, this lady hasn't trusted Christ yet, but as we take our clothes to her to have them stitched up, Elizabeth has taken the time to share the love of Christ with her. And just this last week, we had somebody into our house painting our home, the, the baseboards of it, because I'm a pastor, I'm not a painter, okay? <laughs> and I do it, and it gets all of the carpet. So we got somebody in, in painting our home, and, and, and she takes time to share the love of Christ. We can all do that, can't we? With people in our home, our neighborhood, the world begins right outside our front door. So you don't have to get on a boat to Nineveh this morning to be in, in God's plan. But, but Jonah runs from God. He doesn't like the plan. So look at verse 3 in chapter 1. The Bible says, but Jonah rose and he rose to flee to Tarshish. You know the story from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'll speak for myself right now. 
but I think I'm also speaking for you, aren't I? This describes our life, doesn't it? This describes our life. God speaks. He taps us on the shoulder. And we know what he wants us to do. We heard the whisper. I'm supposed to talk to that person. Or I'm supposed to do this. Or maybe it is getting on a boat or getting on an airplane and going to Columbia. Or whatever it is. But we know... And what do we do? We run. We run. And we're just like Jonah. We run as fast as we can. And we run as far as we can. It's interesting. Tarshish, which means smelt, was a mining town. A mining community. Probably in Spain. You know what that means? That means that Jonah got on a boat to get as far away from God as he could possibly get and go. All the way to Spain, the other end of the Mediterranean, that's where where Jonah was headed. As far away from God as he could get, as fast as he could go. And so he's on this boat and he's running from God. And it's interesting, the ESV study Bible says that the the word Tarshish, look at verse 3 again, is repeated three times in verse 3 to emphasize that Jonah is determined to get as far away from God as he can possibly go. In other words, no, Lord, I'm not going to Nineveh. You may love him, but I don't. I don't want to be a part of this plan. And you know the story. And you don't need me to tell it to you. But the thing that we do need to be reminded of this morning, and I need to be reminded of it, is if you're here today and you're running from God and you know He's asking you to do something, you cannot run far enough and you can't run fast enough to get away from God. Turn to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 for just a moment. And listen to what the Bible says. Where can I go from your spirit? The psalmist, David, asks. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Notice verses 1 through 3 here again at the beginning of the book of Jonah. He's trying to flee from God's presence. But you can't get away from God's presence. God knows where you are. He knows who you are. And God is there wherever you go. You can't get away from Him. And neither could Jonah if you read this story. And so, God sets out on a rescue mission. There's a story told of a man by the name of Adler, Mortimer Adler, who was in a little tea party or meeting one day, and he got so mad at somebody in this meeting. I don't know if it was a Bible study or whatever it was. He got so angry that he got up from the meeting in a huff, a pout, and walked out of the room and slammed the door. People were just sitting there. 
And somebody, to inject a little bit of humor into the moment, said, well, well he's gone. And then somebody else turned to her and said, no, he's not. That was a closet. <laughs> you can't get away from God. You may think that you can get far enough, but the reality is you're just walking into a closet. And that's where jo Jonah ends up in this story. He doesn't walk into a broom closet, but he ends up in the belly of a fish. And incidentally, this isn't just a, a fictitious story. We know from Matthew and Luke that Jonah was a real-life person and a real-life prophet. Read the words of Jesus there in Luke 11 and Matthew 12. This is a real story, and God's big enough to do whatever God wants to do. And so God rescues Jonah. He allows him to be swallowed up by this big fish. He walks into a closet. He ends up in the belly of this fish. And God does it for a reason, in order to rescue Jonah from himself and to get him back on track. And so if you're running this morning, you need to hear this. God cares about you so much, you really do matter to him. And he cares about me so much, and I've seen it in my own life. And I don't like it, but I've got to admit it, I've run. I've been there and I've done this. And God loves you so much. His love is relentless. He will pursue you. He won't let you go. And that's what happens with Jonah. And so he, he's out on this salvage rescue operation. And this big fish comes along and swallows him up. And Jonah's in the belly of this fish. And look at verses 4 and 5. As he's in the belly of this fish, as God sends, him, sends out this, him out, look at, pardon me, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2. Notice that he begins to cry out to God. This is Jonah chapter 2 now, verses 1 through 3. And from inside the fish, the Bible says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Underline that word distress in in verse 2, I believe it is, of Jonah chapter 2. That word is used 180 times in the Old Testament. And it describes trouble. Now let me ask you. If you wake up some morning and you find yourself in the belly of a fish, wouldn't you say you're probably in a heap of trouble? <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. If you're in the belly of a big fish, then you're in trouble. And he's in trouble, he's in distress. This word, this Hebrew word describes trouble or tribulation. It describes tightness or a tight place. He was in a tight face, place in the, in, the, in, the, in the belly of this fish. And so he's crying out to God in distress. And God will do that in our lives. He loves you so much that he will allow trouble to come your direction. He'll allow stress or distress to come into your life because he wants you to step back into his plan. And that's what he does in Jonah's life. And so he gets Jonah's attention and Jonah's crying out. And he says, from the deep in the realm of the dead, Jonah feels like he's, he's going to die. 
Sheol is the place of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry and you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me and all your waves and breakers swept over me. Have you ever been like in a situation like that in your life? I have. I remember laying on the living room carpet and thinking, God, all your waves and breakers are, are, are over me. How do I get out of this one? And God will do that because he loves you that much. And so he rescues Jonah in this situation. And Jonah, read the rest of chapter 2, returns to God. And God restores Jonah. That's the story of chapter 3. Look at verse 8 in chapter 2 for just a moment. I love verse 8 from the NIV version. And notice what Jonah says. He's, he's praying to God and wrestling with him from the belly of this fish that he's in. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. An idol is anything you're holding on to today that's more important than God in your life, that's keeping you from God's plan in your life. And so I want to ask you right now, what are the idols in your life? What have you brought in with you today? And you're sitting here right now, and nobody can see it. It's not a stone idol like they had back in the Old Testament. But it's something that is keeping you. It's a barrier from what God wants you to do. Notice verse 8 again. The idols in our lives prevent us from experiencing God's grace, God's mercy, God's steadfast love. Whatever it is that you're holding on to is nothing more than a wall or a barrier to God's goodness and God's grace in your life. And you can't experience that as long as you're holding on to whatever it is that you brought into this room today. It's going to keep you and prevent you from stepping into God's plan for what God wants for you in your life. And so that's Jonah's situation, and he surrenders, and he releases those idols. You can read the story, and God restores him in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And look at verse 1 in chapter 3 for just a moment. Let's camp there for just a moment before we wrap this up. Verse 1 in chapter 3 says, As God is restoring Jonah as he surrenders his idols, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Underline this. It's underlined here on the screen. Underline it in your Bible. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Underline that phrase. Oh, that's worth holding on to. Because that's God. God is the God of a second chance. He gives Jonah a second chance. God speaks to him a second time. And that's the great thing about God this morning. We serve a Lord who will give you a second chance and a third chance. He's the God of the second chance. And how many second chances has he given me in my own life? I wouldn't be up here this morning if it were for second and third chances. 
And God will give you a second chance this morning. Just like he gave Jonah a second chance. And he speaks to Jonah a second time. And he restores Jonah. And he releases the Ninevites from all of their wrongdoing. Look at verses 5 through 10 in chapter 3. Read those verses. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. They put on sackcloth and ashes. And the king made a decree and they, they returned to God. And, they, and so God gives them a second chance. And if you're into the outline this morning, that's the last point. God releases the Ninevites. Just like he gives Jonah a second chance. And he restores Jonah. And so that's the central message of this book. And this is the heart of God. When you get to the end of the story... What we discover is that God loved the Ninevites just as, he, as much as he loved the Israelites. Jonah's mad about it in chapter 4, and that's another story for another time. We don't have time to go there today. That's another sermon. We've all been there and done that, haven't we? But God concludes by saying, You had compassion on this plant, Jonah. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right hand and their left? And the answer is obvious. Yes, I'm a compassionate God. I, 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 if we repent, God relents. And repentance is nothing more than Saying, okay, Lord, you can have it. Here it is. And we turn around and we go in a different direction. We, we return to him. We come back to him. When we're willing to repent, and that's what the Israelites did here, then God relents. He restores. He releases. He forgives. He's a patient, compassionate God. I'd like to close with this story this morning. It's a story of a bus driver in San Francisco. And her name was, and I believe she's still living, her name is, I want to get it right, Linda Wilson Allen. This is a story that John Orkberg told in a book a few years ago, back in 2015. Linda Allison Wilson is this driver of a bus, city bus in the city of San Francisco. And she just loves the people that get on her bus. One lady who is 80 years of old, age, 80 years old, is named Ivy. And she many times will be carrying grocery on, groceries onto the bus and, and Linda Allison Wilson will stop and she'll, she'll stop the bus and she'll actually help her get the groceries on the bus. There's another lady by the name of Tanya who was new to town in San Francisco and she was, she was destitute. She was lonely. She was homeless. She had no place to go. And Linda recognized this and so she invited her over to her house for Thanksgiving dinner. And she just, she takes time. Have you ever heard of a bus driver doing this? Actually stopping at a bus stop and waiting because she knows that somebody's supposed to be on the bus that day and they're late. And she waits for them. And people love her so much. She's got this little community developing on the bus that, that they've gifted her vacations at their vacation houses. And they're bringing her plants and bouquets of flowers. 
But the point is, Linda Allison Wilson isn't going to Columbia in about a week. She's not getting on a boat to go to Nineveh. But Linda Allison Wilson is loving on people because everybody matters to God. And she knows it. Where do you find the church? You find it on bus 45 on the streets of San Francisco. That's where the kingdom of God is being built. And so I want to ask you as we close today, what's God doing in your life? Is he tapping on your shoulder? Is there somebody, someone, some plan, something that God's asking you to step into? He's the God of the second chance. And he's relentless. He'll find you. He'll find you. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, help us all to surrender to you now. Whatever it is for us. And you know and we know. We can't get away from you, Lord. You know. And we know. So, Lord, this morning, like Jonah, and maybe we're in distress. You've, you've allowed that into our lives because you love us so much. You're trying to reel us in and bring us back to where you know you want us and we know where we should be. Lord, help us in the midst of whatever we're in to say yes to you. And now as we sing this last song to you, Lord, to surrender, awaken us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.